Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza here on Monday morning, January 15. Welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, everything's going good. Football roster coming together. No coaching carousel spinning here. Basketball team got a win. And as luck would have it, the mailbox is not overflowing. Funny how that works, huh? Good time to, um, as I say, we 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 went took a while off and got loaded with questions last week, and then come back with another one back to back, and yeah, not too much to ask when when things are going well usually. Almost like people enjoy complaining or worrying. If I didn't know any better, I would say that's that's the way fans are. What do I know? Not a fan. Mm-hmm. Here's what we'll do. I got short arms. Today's a good day for me to reach into the bottom of the mailbag. We're going to try to get to every question that we can that we have not answered in some form before. Like, for example, when's the football schedule coming out? Very popular question. Don't have an answer. Should be soon. Probably before the end of the month, you'd hope. Last year, January 31st. If you're worried about that or other trivia that we've already answered. Might not get to it today, but there are some big topics, some good questions, some think pieces, some conversation starters that we can get to. Why dilly dally? Let's jump right in. What do you think? All right, let's go. I'm just going right down the board posts right now. Um, might jump around a little bit depending on what what I see as we go. But SG Taylor 24 asks, "What is your take on Jordan Leslie working with the secondary? He's always been DL or linebackers." Um, real quick background for those listening who may or may not be VIP members. I guess we just divulged some VIP material. Yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> that that I posted on the message board on it was it was halftime in the national championship game is when it went up. I had heard from some capital P people that even though a safeties coach, Dante Wright, was on his way out, West Virginia might instead be looking for an outside linebacker slash edge rushers coach, which, if you're paying attention, is the position that Jordan Leslie's in charge of. I mean, he's obviously defensive coordinator, but he is also the outside linebackers coach with the understanding that Leslie now, if they hire an edge rushing coach, whatever you want to call it, Leslie would then help back in the secondary it's a lot to take in but it also came with the caveat of hey this carousel is still moving the coaches conventions coming up more changes could happen so on and so forth in our intel since then mike and you can correct me if i'm wrong i believe you were the one that told me this it's not close to a hiring right now so it's not like it's imminent but what's your take on all this if he's going to be like a walk-around defensive coordinator, that's okay. That's kind of like a, a very highly paid quality control coach. You just walk around and make sure everything's working. And when you have that 10th assistant coach, you can kind of get creative. And you see teams do this on either side of the ball. Some teams have just a dedicated special teams coach, positionless. Some teams will have, you know, just like they'll, they'll do extra things in the offensive line, like fullbacks one, tight ends another, um, inside receivers, outside receivers, because you have more – ways to do it now. So maybe West Virginia is being creative on the defensive line, excuse me, defensive side of the ball. I don't think it's because they're suffering and they can't find people. It's way too early to be at that juncture to say, you know what, can't get the 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 format we want, the coach we want, so let's redesign everything. I wouldn't panic about it. So I would give it a chance. If you're of the mind that things haven't been working, this is just a different way to slice the bread, so to speak, and see if it works. So if he's a guy who's going to walk around and make sure that the defensive line linebacker and now secondary coach are doing what he wants you can do that that's fine with him you know you got four other guys on that side 
that have responsibilities. Can he oversee all that and make sure they're all going in the right direction? That would be the idea. So that'd be interesting to me. And yeah, like I don't, uh, granted a week ago to say that there isn't anything imminent, that's a long time in the coaching search business. So that may be closer to the finish line now. If there have been interviews, it does look like it's going to be like that edge guy, like you said, an outside person, which again, that's kind of small, narrow, isn't it, Chris? Like that's one position. Here I am talking about how you can be more broad when your responsibilities and your assignments and your staff, if you have that walk around guy, um, your, your defensive coordinator at large, if you bring in one guy just to coach like the outside linebackers, that's strange. But I wonder also if like in this new three, four world that I believe there's a question that we can kind of get into about, this isn't really a three, four, but if you're getting into this three at one level, four at the other, I wonder if the new guy isn't the two outside guys. If he's not coaching one player, he's coaching two. And maybe he takes on responsibilities on special teams as well. I don't know, but I think it's an interesting idea that just because you haven't seen it here doesn't mean it wouldn't work. And at this point, if you're Neil Brown, like how many how many pitches are you throwing to the defensive staff to do its thing before you have to realize that that's maybe not the best idea? I would have to think that there's some sort of a plan who we can get, who we can target, can and what we can pay them and when we can get them here that they've discussed, and that it goes from there. Does it end up like this? We'll see. But that's their their starting point right now, and it's different. It doesn't mean it's wrong though. Yeah, I think my first response when when this person told me this was a real possibility was. Is there any other power four program that has one coach handling the entire secondary with, you know, essentially no help um, and couldn't come up with anybody? I mean, that, that's asking a lot. You're basically asking, you know, Shadon Brown with 10 assistant coaches, you're asking one assistant coach to handle what, uh, you know, almost half the defense, basically, you know, four, four, at least four positions, maybe five, depending on how you want to talk about the spear or what they're doing with their scheme, all the stuff that you kind of just mentioned there. Um, but it, it's tough. It's, 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 it's asking a lot, but again, th then you go back to things like, you know, Jordan Leslie, maybe he's helping out walking around. I brought up the idea of, uh, Javon Codlin, who they call Jay Cod, who's a graduate assistant. And I, th that was my original, this is what kind of led to these conversations was I was like, Hey, make this guy, the cornerbacks coach, Shadon Brown, still in charge of everybody. And he's kind of mentoring Codlin that can still happen without, naming Codlin, you know, an official assistant coach. So that, that could, I guess it could happen. It's just, again, like you just said, just because it's different, just because it's unique doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's certainly different and unique. Yeah. Support staffs are so big now too, that you could have a GA effectively coach your cornerbacks. That's not unusual. That's not unusual here too. Like people remember like Michael Burchett was basically the, the quarterbacks coach when Dana was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach and, if you got a guy you like and you trust and you want to see what he's made of, you can do something like that with with the other with the understanding being that the other guy who is a secondary coach, he can have oversight and he can step in when needed to. Moving down the the uh, questions, this one's from Salty Dog. I'm going to truncate this just a little bit, but he points out that you know things are turning around for Neil Brown, and he asks, "What is the kind of prevailing understanding in coaching circles on the number of remaining years on a coach's contract?" Would or would this start to become a point of contention between WVU and Neil Brown? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if he wins a number of games next year, that's going to be a, a, a problem. I Not a problem. That's going to be a, yeah, a problem. How about that? If we're going to just go yeah. black and white here, he's going to want more years in his contract because he's the guy who was in a corner this time last year. And he came out and he advanced by winning. And if he does it again, he's going to be further out of that corner and he think he should have more security than he probably would have with just the remaining number of years. That is one problem. The other problem, Chris, 
is the salaries across the country now. Jed Fish is getting almost $8 million a year to coach Washington. I understand you can do that by going to the Big Ten. Um, Big 12 is not poor. And if you're looking at like a foreign change million dollar salary, that's kind of worrisome, Chris. Like that's that's a number you're going to have to really start to adjust now soon. And it is insane when you think about it. But, um, you know, it's it's the tide that rises all boats here. When everybody else gets paid, guess what? When it's your turn at the table, you're going to get paid a lot too. However, on this... Another caveat, and this goes in the other direction, Chris, how important are years left on a contract with the old recruiting spin when the transfer portal is as big as it is? You've never seen player movement into the portal like you have right now. How many players from a recruiting class or from a combination of four to five recruiting classes, how many go through and how many are really beholden to the four-year concept of a head coach? That number wasn't especially big before. It is significantly smaller now. And then there's such an emphasis on portal recruiting. You're getting guys typically one, maybe two years. There are outliers that you get them after a redshirt year, a freshman sophomore, they have a couple of years left. But the majority of that are one or two year mercenary rentals, whatever. As long as you're there for one or two years, that's fine. And at that point, very rarely is a portal player coming in to play for a coach. He's coming in to play for an opportunity for the NFL to end his career on the right note, to improve his situation, to play in the power five. That's not really about how many years a coach has left in his contract. Dynamics are changing. I don't think the number of years left is as important. I think the dollars are much more important now. And just, to, I don't have much to add because I think you hit all the high points there. Um, and I'm with you. I think the number of recruits, the conversations, you know, they used to be, there used to be negative recruiting of, hey, look over there, you know. Well, Neil Brown's only got three years left on his deal. Is he going to be there when you're ready to graduate? Like, you think they're having that conversation nowadays? No way. Like, like you said, with all transferring, zero chance that conversation's coming up. So that's that's basically out the window. Um, to recap, and I'm thinking I'm I'm looking at one of our old stories, and I think it's updated correctly. But four point one for 2024, 4.1 million. 4.2 million for 2025 and 4.4 million for 2026. And then that's it. Correct. Yes. Okay. I think, I think that's right. I mean, it's one of it. it it's, it's a story by a Mike over at 24 seven sports. So I'm going to, I'm going to take his word for it. Baby, um, iffy. <laughs> but just, just to recap for those listening. So you're, you're wondering what we're dealing with here, but yeah, I don't think it's a conversation again. I'm with you. I think the bigger conversation is going to be about, and not even job security, since it's all basically guaranteed right now um, for, for Neil Brown. So he knows he's getting paid. But yeah, the dollar figures are going to keep going up. Uh, cost of business is going to keep going up. So, Also, if they hire a basketball coach for $5 million a year, and the amount of income that comes from football versus men's basketball, you're, you're going to get a phone call from Neil Brown agent online too pretty quickly, I would think. Uh, CMM 0016, does WVU have any connection with players on the Air Alabama or Arizona rosters who might have to transfer? Um, just a reminder, when coaching changes happen, a 30-day transfer portal window opens, and those guys can enter the portal even though the portal has been closed to everyone else. Mike, I could kind of jump in here real quick. I looked at Arizona's roster. No, not really. I mean, there's one guy, uh, his name's Isaiah Johnson. He was a, um, he actually went to high school out in Chandler, mm -hmm. out near like Nico Marchio, but he's originally from Camden, New Jersey. And I had heard previously that he had some connections with AJ Jackson. Other than that, I just don't see anybody at Arizona. Um, Alabama, of course, there's a few guys there that 
you know, one time had some early looks from WVU, but again, you're probably talking about guys who are buried on the depth chart at Alabama for them to consider leaving. And I would think they would have already hit the portal if that were the case. Yeah. If you're looking at second cut players and your top shelf, top two shelves are leaving. Well, wait a second. If they weren't getting playing time, they might be in line for playing time now too. So there's going to be a, an instant rush to the portal for sure. And there's going to be like a more patient approach for players trying to figure out, you know, could the situation be better for me? Like, is the traffic gone? And also is this new coach? Do I know him? Is it better for the way I play in this offense or defense? Um, so that 30 days, yeah, it started. It's not over yet. I'd, I'd wait, I'd be a little bit more patient because sometimes like, yeah, connections are fine, but you know, sometimes the best ability is availability. And if you have spots, or if you're available, like there's going to be a mutual interest there that might exist beyond recruiting ties or familiarity with an assistant coach. Speaking of availability, next question comes from Hair Raid. Um, he says, between decommitments and transfers, the team has been informed the spear position is being severely deprioritized. It seems that way, he says. Mm-hmm. But I have not seen the influx of linebacker offers you would expect to fill that gap in order to run that 3-4. Can you explain the numbers as they stand, what you expect those numbers to look like? And are you concerned that they don't have enough linebackers to actually run a 3-4 next year? All right. I'll let you take this on the recruiting and the portal and all that because this is like you've had your – you've rolled up your sleeves and dug into this already with who they've contacted and to what end. The one thing I want to get to when it comes to like the numbers, so to speak, is the number four. It's not four linebackers. Just think of it as players at certain levels. There's three, maybe four levels on a defense. Your defensive line – your second level, which is not just linebackers, and your third level, which is like safeties. That four is going to be some combination of like, it's definitely going to be two inside linebackers because they were that way this year, quietly but visibly. And then how they put the other two people there, which in the past we called them like Bandit and Spear. That Spear is going to be like a nickelback for some opponents, some situations, and it's going to be like a Sam linebacker against other opponents in other situations. So if you've got like an angle situation or a team is in the red zone, or if it's a team that runs a lot, which by the way, in the Big 12, look at some of these offenses now. You might have an E for a Sam. If you spin the hands on the clock backwards enough and you're into early West Virginia Big 12, or even a couple of years ago in all these offenses, that Sam is definitely going to be like a nickelback instead. And you might see teams that are just really good passing the ball, it might be a two-minute drill situation. It might be a team that's down by 20 against West Virginia, and they got a pass. Well, now you take your Sam off the field and you put that nickel back in. How they get to that number four is what matters, and that's the goal here. Be versatile. It does not have to be four linebackers. So if you're looking at like a two deep or four linebackers, two times four is eight. Wait a minute. They don't have eight linebackers. They don't need eight linebackers. Realistically, they need four, maybe five. Let's just say six because of injuries. It's a little bit easier to get to that. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The numbers kind of tell the story, I think, and he he alluded to it. But mm-hmm. if you go and look at it as far as the ins and outs, you're right. Like on the spear, Dixon out, Stokes out, McLaurin out, Cobb, Spear, however you want to say he was going to play. We don't really know since he was hurt most of the year. But he's out with no transfers in at the moment. 
and three freshmen that probably need some time to get ready. Meanwhile, at Bandit, or linebacker and Bandit, they brought in five guys with only two guys leaving. Um, well, three if you count Lee Coba. But uh, Ty French is expected to be a Bandit type. And again, they're calling him an outside linebacker on the roster, for whatever that's worth. Bino and Luca, a high school player who's enrolling early. And as some of our national analysts have, uh, have mentioned, he looks game ready. He looks college ready right now, physically. He looks ready. So he is an outside linebacker, a.k.a. a bandit, whatever we're calling him. So I think the numbers are fine. Right now I'm looking at my scholarship tracker, and there's 12 linebackers slash bandits with, uh, that are on scholarships set to return in the fall. Don't expect it to be that number um, once we get after spring and everything, but a couple of those guys are on the inside, a couple of guys on the outside. I think you're okay with that. I do worry about that safety spot and who's going to end up where because I'll be quite honest, like based off of these movement, it almost feels like they're leaning more towards a 4-3 than a 3, uh, you know, like an extra just down lineman or edge rusher, pure edge rusher all the time kind of thing. But the numbers are fine overall. And they're just going to have to be, um, you know, versatile, like you were talking about, moving guys around and, and and trying different looks. Who plays the spear? Who who plays this new position? If it's not a spear, it's a it's a nickel slash Sam. Who is that though? That's what concerns me. Like, what's what's the identity of that player? Never mind, like what's his name, but like what does he look like? And is he on the roster or is he in the transfer class? And I'm not. I don't have that with a punctuation mark at the end. It just not, that's not case closed. I don't think. Next question, Chris from CL. What's the first to go, the 85-man scholarship limit or the five to play four? Five to four. I'm with you. I don't think they get. I don't think they actually get rid of the 85-man limit. Um, honestly, I'm going to go off the board, and it's going to be something I was talking about the uh, other day, the official visit list. I think it's going to continue to grow. I think it could be up to 75. Um, I've heard – talked to – this is going to be one of those things that's going to differentiate between the haves and have nots because speaking with some power five player personnel people like they're at 70 and they're dying for more speaking with some group of five player personnel people. They're not even close to 70 and they're not planning on getting there or going over because it's such a large portion of their budget. Um, I don't think it, impacts the budget of power five programs as much as group of five, but this is going to be one of those things, points of contention between the haves and have nots. And I think it's going to come up during meetings and you could see that it, it already went from 56 to 70 and you could see that the big boys, the haves going to push it for 75 or 80. Yeah. There's no need to get the 85 up, right? Can't see that. No, 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 no. I don't think it needs to go over 85. And I know, you know, part of the question he went further, um, Chris from CL, you know, talk about how with COVID and there's guys getting the sixth, seventh years, all that stuff. That's eventually going to go away. Like, yeah, guys aren't going to have a sixth and seventh year here in like a couple of years. So that's going to go away and you don't want to change the rules for now and then try to revert back because so we have seen with everything with college athletics, once you open that Pandora's box, there's no putting it back in. So I don't think they've changed the 85-man limit um, at all. The 5-4 to four is interesting. I've been on that for like 20 years. Like, I can remember having conversations with John Beeline about that. Like, I wrote about it once, and he came up to me after a practice. was like, hey, by the way, I've always thought this is a great idea. And then, you know, that's how our 
everlasting friendship was created right there out of a similar minds, but it's, it's an idea that just makes sense. And I'd never actually been open to it, but I would be curious if you looked at what's happened with the COVID year and the COVID season, everybody effectively getting um, a five to five. I would just rather let, listen, get five years to, to graduate five years of eligibility. That would be my rule. If you want to play five, fine. Very rarely you're going to see people who play five. Either they're not rated that first year. And if they are, they're not going to play much more than four games anyways for football, for example. And an NBA player is not going to play five years in college. He's not. I would like to see some sort of a study. And it won't be me, but maybe it will be me. Maybe I'll get rich and I'll just like put this together and I'll hire people to do the research and the writing. But what has been the improvement of graduation rates? Um, what's been the improvement of like people getting graduate degrees, not just undergraduate, but graduate degrees by having that extra year of college? Um, have you seen more? Because there was like a bias against, you know, oh my gosh, 22-year-old NBA rookie. 22 year old NFL rookie. Well, what if they prove themselves to be really good players in their 22 year and all of a sudden they're drafted? Maybe not first round, maybe they're a second round pick in the NBA or an undrafted. Maybe they're a fifth or sixth round pick in the NFL. Has there been an influx in that? Is that competitively and, and academically good to give one more year players? And I'm not saying like you you do a COVID year and you build it in, everybody gets one. But if a player wants to have five years to play five seasons, fine. But he has five years of college eligibility. You got to factor in the transfers and all that stuff. That's going to be a monkey wrench. But is there a benefit to it that you can you can draw from the COVID season on about, okay, we built in this extra year and here's what happened. Can you advocate for that? And it might do away with waivers and things like that as well. It might clean up some of the inefficiencies and blind spots if you just go five for five. I think that'd be an interesting like study or research project to do because there might be benefit for it. And if it's not, then there's no need to do it. I don't know the answer. I'd be really curious to see that. And again, like the, the education thing is it's really hard to graduate if you're bouncing around transferring like people are right now because you're running a time. But if you have that five years and five seasons, it might be you might be more patient to play at one spot. You might be more open to graduate school. Like it's it's hard to get into graduate schools. You'll see players from like Stanford and Michigan and other really good academic schools transfer when they graduate for an extra year because it's hard to get into those postgraduate programs at that school. Is that helping out other programs? Is it giving them a chance to actually go and get a graduate degree somewhere else? If you do four years at Stanford and you'd like to have a Stanford graduate degree, but you can't get it, go somewhere else, play another year of football and get a graduate degree. Like there's just little things like that that I think you could build together that aren't competitive or college sports necessarily, but we forget academics, education, that that is kind of the essence of the student athlete question comes from i still love you doug and this is I, I actually did some research on this this morning trying to find an answer maybe you'll know it but he asked why does Kresa have his first name on the back of his jersey he asked is estonian uh, where he's from estonia isn't like anguish asian languages for those who don't know like in, in asian culture your your family name your surname your last name comes first like i, I always use the example of ichiro suzuki the baseball player that's how you say his name here in America. Ichiro is his last name. It would be like saying Anderson Chris. And that's why you saw Ichiro on the back of his jersey uh, for baseball. I've looked, and Krisa is the surname in Estonia. But I don't I don't know the rules of, of how they put their name on there. And I maybe I'll do it. If you got any thoughts on this, hop in here. I'm gonna maybe I'll try to find a picture of him back at Arizona to see if he had his Krisa or Kerr on his name there. I don't know. Um, completely honest with you. I had no idea until I read Frank's question and, um, <laughs> excuse me. I love you. Doug's question. I know who this is by the way. And, and a good authority for this because he worked in Korea for a long time. So he's up to speed in these things. And 
doesn't surprise me he caught this. So I think it's interesting. I was not aware. Um, other people have asked about a cook a cook's jersey. I believe that's still different. Um, that's actually the name of his jersey is actually part of his name, more of his native name. And I guess that would be a similar thing. That's actually what if if you put a last name on a jersey, and then apparently what is on his jersey right now would be his last name. I hadn't even noticed Greece's one until I read this question. So I will have to look into this one. I did not know, and I did not get any type of answer before we sat down to do this. For the record, while he was at Arizona, it also said Kerr on the back of his jersey. So I would assume it's it's something that is native to uh, to Estonia. Um, or personal preference. I don't know. But, has, it, has it been yeah, this way I, all year? I, it has been this way all year. I did notice it very early on when he started. Well, not very early on when he started playing because he didn't start playing until um, game 10. But I noticed it the first time he was out there. I didn't think much of it. But I don't know. Now, nah, yeah, I've just pulled up some photos from back at Arizona. And he's got a her on the back of his jersey, his jersey there, too. Well, it's funny the things we don't pay attention to. Like when I'm watching game in the building, there's no way I can see the jersey. You barely make out the numbers sometimes from how far away we are. And then on TV, up close, really tight. You're not looking at the back of somebody. You look at their their face or whatever. And I just I just haven't noticed that before. So that's a good catch. Uh, let's see. Main year 105. It, this probably related to the earlier question, so not spend too much time. But you know, ask do 2025 recruits now view this coaching staff as being more secure than the 2024 class did? Uh, answer is yes, but going back to our conversation earlier about the the contract and stuff, I don't know if it's as important as it would have been, you know, ten years ago. Like his job security and how long he's going to be um, at West Virginia. I do think there was an issue this past class because there was the very real possibility that that was it, and like these guys would commit, and he wouldn't be there by the time they actually got on campus. He would have already been fired. So I do think it had an impact on twenty twenty four. And it doesn't seem to be any sort of conversation for 2025. Yes and no. Yeah, a nine-win season in the bank, that brings you off the burner a little bit. What happens if they go seven and five, Chris? Seven and six. And then you just have one year left in the contract. Is that right? Um, Two. 2025 and 2026. That's right. You're right. Um, I think that would be... I'm not sure what the administration would do there. I'm not going to get into that now, but I just... Yes, obviously... Nine wins changed some things, but so would a seven and six season, a seven and five season. Uh, Pete Winter and Salty Dog eighty one fifty nine both asked about the recent transfer decommitments. Um, a couple of them, and this was a big reason why you know we were saying back in December, like it's great that they've committed, but none of this means anything because even if they enroll at a school. And enrolling is different than actually being in class, okay? Because the key is they have to have actually been in class for class, started class. Because you can enroll at like five, Mike, you're going to know this better than me, but you can enroll at multiple different schools, correct? Like technically enroll or enlist or whatever technical term we're using here. Yeah. Several different schools. Yep. It's like getting a, a restaurant reservation. You know, you got to order the meal to pay the bill. Okay. And so it, it, it doesn't matter until they actually show up to class. And people are asking about how Xavier Bosley, the, the offensive lineman transfer. Hey, why hasn't he been announced? And I, I, I'll be honest, I just reached right out to him. Like, hey, are you on campus? And he had shown up to campus and started class on Friday. So it, it was done even though he hadn't been announced. And he got announced a day or two later because, as you've noted before, 
it, it's not as simple as just flick a switch and it's done. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of that that has to get done before a school can technically announce them. Um, but the decommitments, uh, I mentioned before, I was told very plainly, it was not a waste. Um, I had mentioned on the board that, you know, this is a lot of, I don't want to say wasted official visits for a team that didn't have official visits to waste, but I was told they were takes and it was a good look and they wanted them there. They wanted them on the team. And I have not gotten an exact reason why. Um, I think if you pay attention to where some of these guys are ending up, maybe you're going to get your answers. Cause again, some of this comes down to credits and some of this comes down to getting enrolled. I believe it was professor who pointed out on the board, some of the um, post-grad programs at WVU require a 3.0 or a 3.25 GPA just to get in. And maybe some of that stuff didn't transfer. I don't know. I, I would think this is some of the things you would work out before the official visits, but for whatever reason, it has not worked out. I wish I could give you a clearer answer than that. I'm also stuck on what Brown said on signing day too, that, you know, they've had a pretty good history of getting high school commits in and playing. You don't have a lot of like clearinghouse issues, eligibility center issues. A lot of that changed, and they they alter the ECTSAT requirement, so that's not as much of a worry anymore. But he did say that pretty much all of their guys were good to go. Like there are a couple question marks. So I, I guess you could. I wonder now, Chris, if like the system isn't set up to take a couple more risks than before because you have so much more space, and especially they do something with the official visit count too. Uh, we're not there yet, I guess, but I wonder if I'm going to say calculated risk layer, but can you be a little bit riskier? And, and maybe this is sometimes the byproduct of that. Uh, Rebels 52, um, your question will be answered in a full story later. Uh, you were asking about the what players who redshirted this past year or didn't see much playing time, might move into major playing time. Mike's on that, right? Right, Mike? Yeah, it's not a very long list, though. But, yeah, we can get to that for sure. Okay. Um, WV 2323, he asked, give us the roadmap, roadmap to significantly improving this defense, 84th in yards per play allowed, 66 in points per game allowed, 70th in third down percentage defense. Right now, I don't see it at all. I'm glad he picked those numbers out because a lot of people will see like yards per game, and I think that's kind of a goofy stat, but those are three good stats. How can they get better? They're going to have to get better in pass rush, and if they think that the two people you mentioned, the freshman and the transfer, if they can do that, uh, French and what's Obina's last name? On Onukwe? Yeah, on Onwuka. Onwuka, so, okay, sorry. I'll have to go back and listen to Neil Brown say it. But that that might help their pass rush there, but they're also going to have to be better up the middle, like a gap blitzes. So, but if you're playing with the two middle linebackers, that's going to be a little bit easier too. I just I sometimes think that West Virginia and a lot of teams are too are just predictable on edge pass rushes. You're going to have defensive backs or or like pass rush specialists ends outside linebackers doing it. Can they be better in there? That might help them. Um, but also like they're going to have to be better against the run to stop the yards per run too. That lowers the yards per play. But West Virginia was not a great run defense this year, and when they were good. Koba and Cutter were, were pretty stout in the middle, and they can make some things happen there. Um, the the one thing that's that's troublesome is going to be how they cover things in the secondary. They tried a couple of different ideas within last year, but also between twenty two and twenty three, it just changes. And I'm not sure they were altogether successful. New ideas in the secondary, Chris, maybe new results. So can they cover better, more effectively, fewer holes, especially when it comes on third down? And then I think that. If their offense is going to be good, that's going to help their defense and teams. Other teams will have to be riskier. Could they lead to more turnovers, more incomplete passes, more failed third down conversions or fourth down conversions? You know, go for it instead of kick a field goal. 
um, just a, the, across a year, emptier possessions because West Virginia's offense is good, that can affect the other team's offense. So if West Virginia's offense is getting sevens a bunch or is moving the ball, holding on to the ball, that might affect other teams. That's not a great thorough answer. I, I share similar concerns that he has, especially in those three metrics, especially look at some of the offenses in the Big 12. How can I get there? I don't think all the pieces are on the board right yet, but it would have to be pass rush. It'd have to be a better way to cover in the secondary. And it'd have to be the offense for West Virginia continuing to be good to put pressure on the other team's offense. We got six questions left, eight minutes. Ooh. Do you think we can do it? No, but let's try. <laughs> Who are the freshmen that are expected to play a lot and not redshirt? Give me two names, Mike. You got anybody? Uh, Farmer and Obina. Okay, good picks. I was going to say Obina and Zay Jennings, but we yep. do find it. We have found more often than not that it's skill players that get on the field early, which might lead you towards Farmer, Dunbar, some something of that ilk. Um, what are the biggest needs in the portal still for for post spring? Let's say when that window opens back up. Is position, well, position, like I said, yeah, I mean, yeah, so position, you've got to have a starter at your Sam slash nickel. Like, if that's going to be one position with two players, you're going to need two players there, which means depth. And then I would think that, man, just, again, just speed on that defense. Speed. I don't know where it comes from. Is it a linebacker that can go sideline to sideline or a nickelback who can just run with people? Is it a safety who can span the field? I don't know, but a position would be those two spots we talked about, and a skill would be speed. All right, next question comes from Chestnuts. Might be too early to get a good grasp, but what is your starting secondary in the spring game? Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think cornerback's going to be interesting. I mean, I know what they're probably going to do. You know, they'll probably, as they have in the past, start like as they're already here, like Jacoby Spells will start. Uh, Montre Miller, if he's healthy enough, could start. And if he gets but, a waiver. Right. And but I think you're going to be looking more towards Aiden Garns and TJ Crandall once they get kind of their feet under them, get some more reps in there. Safety, Anthony Wilson, Aubrey Burks. And if we're going to add that fifth spot, I don't know right now because you got Riley Collins, who nope, you know, he's been kind of in and out, and I doubt it. Uh, Josiah Jackson, you know, he's a redshirt freshman, he's going to be a redshirt freshman. Aiden Tagaloa Nelson, he's with the basketball team right now and how I don't think that's progressing towards him starting, you know, two months from now. So, and then you got three more true freshmen coming in and nothing else. So I don't know what that fifth spot is at all right now. Um, Previously, Chris, Spear and Will were similar, right? Like you saw like uh, X-Ray Low, Lance Dixon, like guys like that. They were Will linebackers who could play some Spear. All the verbiage now is that it's a strong side linebacker slash nickelback, right? And Collins had been weaned to be like that Will slash Spear. I don't know that he could be a Sam, and he's probably not a Spear, too. So I wonder what island he's on right now, too. Also, big right. deal to get Wilson and Burks back. I was There was a time that people were pretty worried that one or both would not be back. There was, there was certainly some work behind the scenes to get that done. So kudos to the front office and the NIL people for making that happen because those are those are caps on the defense. Like you got to have that top player if you're going to play a cover three. Um, are they the best? The best on the options, the best of the options that are available. I don't think you want to go out and replace one or both. And they don't have to now. So good for them. Roko Ear asks, what letter grade would you give Eilert's in game coaching so far this season? Uh, oh, three, probably an I, an N, and a C for incomplete, just because like they were, they were much better Saturday. They probably shouldn't have been as bad in between that and when they got their first. 13 together for the first time against UMass, but 
I just think it's so difficult. I'm not being an apologist for him, but it, it's really hard to do stuff. And the players haven't taken to some of the rotations and changes until Saturday. It's it's a lot of and Chris. It's just trial and error so much. Like I don't, you can't give him an A. It'd be hard to give him an F. A C seemed probably about right. Uh, probably C minus because the record. If you want to go D, I think that might be harsh. But I could certainly understand that. I wouldn't go above a C. So maybe like C C minus. With you, it's probably one of the hardest questions to answer that you guys have ever asked. Um, (laughs) Because a couple of those things, like early on, like a couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, I don't really like these, you know, jerking around the minutes and stuff. But it's almost like in the moment, it seems like the minutes are being jerked around. But now that we've gone a couple games later, that was just a shift. And that was a change. And that change has been consistent since then. So now it's no longer jerking around. And it's just this is the rotation now. And it seems to, at least with our most recent result, to be working, to be something that they're getting accustomed to. So very difficult question to answer, obviously. Um, here we go. CE5588, favorite recruits to look for in 2025 class early on. Mike, you uh, your, your card <laughs> up to date? It is, but I have to like I have to laminate it before I can show up at the field again too. So I I know some names here. I don't have the intel, and I don't want to take up the available time here. So this is all you, my friend. Okay, I just want to name one that I think is going to be. I mean, there's dozens of guys that were on campus. We've seen a lot of them at camp last summer. That's how this works. They come to camp, they get a good look. Maybe they get an offer then. Maybe they don't get an offer but get it later. Come in the fall and then come back up for junior day. One guy I really, really, really like, Sean Terry from Ironton. Um, the coaching staff is all over him. They have been watching him. They are treating him like, you know, very rarely do I do the top target. You know, we got the top target, high choice, interested in scouts look, you know, rankings of how of these guys look. Very rarely am I putting a guy in top target this early that's not already committed. I want to put him there because I think they feel that way about him. So well, that's a guy I would, I would I would single out right now. All right. Last that's question. That's my pick too, by the way. <laughs> Last question. The only one we haven't answered yet. All right. Hamilton 220 asked oh. in the last four football seasons, can you name the worst decision to transfer him away from WVU by a player where it definitely was not a better move and a transfer away from WVU that ended up being a really good move for the player? So I have a hard time with the first part because like some of these guys who transferred, you're like, like uh, Christian Stokes, for example, or Devil Washington. Like these are guys who were on full rides at a power five program. And now they're playing at much smaller levels. Like, um, Stokes had a pretty good Division II program. Where did Washington end up, Chris? You told me this the other day, and I forget. I think, didn't he end up at Eastern Michigan or something? I mean, he ended up at a much smaller school, for sure. Yeah, but, maybe but even like, smaller than that. So you're looking at guys who who had it and then didn't have it. Like, why did they leave? Well, they might not have had a chance. They might not have ever played here. And now they're playing somewhere else. So that, that's so hard for me to do. You could look at guys like Tyke Smith uh, and say, like, well, it didn't work out. A guy won a national title, and now he's in the NFL draft. He didn't get picked. I don't know. But, like, he went to the SEC and, and won a championship. He got hurt. Bad news. I get that. Um, Nick Troy Fortune might have been a starting – probably would have been a starting safety – but he was a starting cornerback. He went to UTSA, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Didn't do great there. Uh, Josh Chandler went to uh, really had one of the worst experiences you could probably have um, going from West Virginia to Colorado in a, just a miserable FBS program two years ago. And he missed the Dion thing by year. That doesn't look good. But like, dude wasn't happy here. So that, that it's a hard thing to do. That's a really hard one to answer. The best ones, I think, for moves like Dylan Ray looks like a good one. Started at Kentucky a couple of times this year. Um I'm trying to think of the receiver from Virginia that was here a couple of years ago that went to Old Dominion. Um, Jennings? Uh, Jennings, Allie yeah. Jennings, yeah. It was a good one. And then Trey Lowe. 
Like that mm-hmm. guy went and, and started games and was like a, a pretty good player. He was never going to play quarterback here. So it works out better than it doesn't work out sometimes, especially when you look at this question as trying to figure out why, why would that guy leave? Probably weren't going to play here. So it's hard to find mistakes. It's easier to find success stories unless you're being really critical about it. Well, I'll be the negative Nancy, Mike. It's Drayshon Miller. Um, he was you yeah. know, a starter, potential all-conference guy for West Virginia. He's the guy that, I mean, was being talked about in a lot of circles as a big impact player for WVU. He transfers to Auburn, doesn't play, gets buried on the depth chart, then has to transfer to NC State, where I believe, if I heard correctly, had to walk on um, because they weren't going to give him a scholarship. And from the best I can tell, looking at pro football focus, he did not play a single other snap against uh, on defense against an FBS opponent for the rest of his career. So he went from a potential all-conference starting cornerback in the Big 12, never playing a meaningful snap again. Uh, you know, you, you you hate to see that kind of stuff happen, but that's that's one of those situations where I think it's, hey, the grass isn't always greener. Can I hit you with some names? Yeah. And just because, like, I, I, that's a great pick. It's probably the right pick. And then I look at some other options. I'm like, okay, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm stuck in my Tyke Smith answer here because that, that sounded better than it probably was in my head or sounded worse than it probably was in my head. I'm not sure it's a great idea, but I'm gonna just go through the past couple of years on something and see if they actually make sense or not. Um, like, divisive picks. Like, oh, I'm not sure this doesn't look good. It doesn't make sense. What can be wrong? Um, Tony Mathis, that's okay, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think everybody was good with that one. But you're leaving the number one power five rushing offense in the country. Like, what are you thinking? That's a weird one, but doesn't does it hurt him? I mean, he probably would have had better numbers this year, but oh well. Um, that's a strange one. Um, Taj Austin, I'm pretty sure he worn out his welcome here. Yeah, Colorado. I don't. I don't know. There was a ton of Taj Austin highlights this year. Jordan Jefferson mm-hmm. would have been a starter was... here. Was not there, but yeah. and again, like not like that defense was terrific this year at LSU either. Prather, that makes sense. I don't have an issue with that one. Like he, he was like a featured player in the offense. He would have been here, but he was there too. Going down the list here of guys from last year. That's probably it for last year. Um, yeah, I don't have an issue with any of those. Like this is where it gets a little bit trickier because there were so many players in the twenty-one and twenty-two off seasons that seemed like you would, you'd look at and go, "This doesn't make a whole lot of sense." Like what's going on? What's in the water in Morgantown? Um, just a couple here. We mentioned Fortune. Where do you sit on Mesador? Because he was in line to be a star here, right? Yeah. But Doesn't the, mean the it was going to happen, though. Yeah. But the reason there was an issue was because he just lied about the entire thing. If he just comes out and says, hey, I want to be used as more of a, I'm trying to remember what it was, you know, like he was being used as a what, like a three technique at WVU or one to, and he wanted to be a five technique or seven technique, you know, further outside. He wanted to be more of a defensive end. And then Miami was willing to pay him. Like, there you go. You know, if you just come out and say, hey, I want to be in a position that I want to play, a different position, slightly different position, and I'm going to get paid more. Like, you look at anybody else in the world, you're like, hey, man, I give you a job that you like more, and I'm going to pay twice as much. Who's turning that down? No one. So you would understand that, except he comes out and says, oh, it's dangerous in Morgantown, and just, like, lies to his team literally leaves in the middle of a position group meeting with the coaching staff to essentially accept the offer from Miami and leave and catches the whole coaching staff off guard. I mean, that's why that's a problem. I don't know if it's the best move for him, but if you're trying to play a different position, okay, I got it. 
Sure. Because he wasn't going to play that position because, you know, um, Dante Stills was still going to be around and everything like that. So, okay. But, okay. Um, Daryl Porter. Tough one. I mean, going back home, so I know why he did it. But yeah, I mean, he, I don't think he's playing that much down there, is he? I haven't no, been keeping him. 21, he had 40 tackles at West Virginia. Um, yeah. Excuse me, 46 tackles at West Virginia. Picked off a pass. Since then, last two years, played nine games, nine games, a total total Chris of 34 tackles, no interceptions. So he hasn't done in two years what he did there. Also, this is, this is tea leaves. I understand, but his brother was a highly recruited player that I believe a lot of people thought would, there was, there was some sort of alignment where he was going to end up with him. Mm -hmm. Right. That didn't work out either. Brothers at Florida state. Now, is that right? Georgia and Florida state. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so yeah, it's funny how that works out. Not a whole lot of other ones from that class. I guess if you wanted to have conversations about could it be good, could it be bad, Jackie Matthews ended up being a starter at Mississippi State and, and had a pretty good season his one year there. Winston Wright, that's kind of an unfortunate story. A car accident that really derailed him. Who knows what he could have been. Um, Parker Moore is a guy that I think a lot of people were confused. Like, man, he got a chance to be like the sixth offensive lineman here. Maybe he moves up. Injuries, he just gets better. It was a starter at East Carolina. That's fine. Sam Brown, nobody's going to have an issue with that. And you kind of get into some some dregs toward the bottom of there where like, okay, better off without him for sure. The last one we'll look at would be the 2021 class. And again, a lot of names in here too, because that was just the the environment at the time. Um, remember Tariq Stewart was just starting to start here, the junior college transfer, and then it's left yeah. like right after, I believe, the bowl game. That was a strange one. And then uh, Jeffrey Pooler, um, starting defensive end here, but he went to Northwestern. That's a guy who had aspirational goals um, for, for education. He wanted to be a lawyer and agent. Hard to blame him for that one. You mentioned Sean Miller. I mentioned Tyke Smith. Alex Sinkfield went and played um, in, in a fun little way in an offense in Boston College. That didn't work out too bad. And we mentioned Ollie Jennings. That's probably the big name there. Also, uh, Austin Kendall went and he got to be a starting quarterback at Louisiana Tech, too. So, um, again, a lot of players have left, but I'm not sure how many have been just significantly better than they were here or were going to be here, too. But you do find some players who, like a lower level of players who, because of playing time, or starting opportunities, it does make sense to them too. So that's a good question to look at and kind of like, I'm glad we circle back on this too, because having a conversation about a Mesidor or a Porter or some of these people, it does kind of give you the perspective. I think that the the questioner was looking for here. That's taking bit. me back to the old, uh, what, what I used to have a, what was it called? Oh, the curse of the decommit. Yeah. There's a story I used to write, like wrote it first time, like back in like 2013 or 14. And it was essentially every player that verbally committed to WVU and then changed their mind. Things did not go well for them. Things went very poorly for them. And it was very rare to find somebody who had found success. And it's not actually a curse. Um, If you go back out, I want to give credit to whoever this was, and I can't remember who it was, but they wrote, they did the, um, the stats breakdown of it. Players who verbally committed somewhere and then decommitted their success rate in college was drastically lower than those who made a commitment and stuck to it. Oh, wow. And, you know, his, his hypothesis was essentially, it's like, you know, like a personality thing and your drive and your commitment. And, and the stats were pretty glaring that if you decommitted in high school and, and transferred schools, or if you also, if you transferred high schools, like your chance of success was much lower um in college than it was before and i don't know if those numbers still stand up several years later because that story was back in 2013 or 14 as well can you slide me his contact number because i might get in touch with him did the research project that i mentioned earlier about the five years and five years yeah 
I'll see. I'll I'll go try to Google it as soon as we get off here and try to find that again. All right. I got to win the lottery first so I can bankroll this. (laughs) That's step one. So work on that one for a while. That's all I have. Chris, you have anything else here? No, that's it. Keep an eye out. Lots of lots of stories coming up. West Virginia had dozens of recruits on campus. I actually had a couple of our national guys message me being like, Jesus, this this is the big game in town this weekend. And that that's not something you hear about very often with West Virginia recruiting, especially the last couple of years. But it, it was the big game. It was the big notable event in the world of college football recruiting, at least like, you know, for kind of mid-Atlantic, northeast, however you want to view it kind of thing. And Lots of updates coming. Well, and they treated the Northeast crowd with a lot of snow and cold, too. So at least it wasn't for the people from the South. That's good, right? Yeah, true. All right. Plenty coming out on the website. Basketball game on the road Wednesday. Another ranked team, Oklahoma. Big 12 is a behemoth. You already knew that. You can watch it unfold there. May get some, uh, I don't know, maybe guys commit, maybe guys decommit, may get some coaching news, too. We'll try to have it before it happens and certainly when it happens. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.